HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit Michter's.com to find out how their taste-is-everything-cost-be-damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Mary Izette. From Fomentabody. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on Heritage Radio Network. Org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and uh, we have a special Oktoberfest edition today of uh, In the Drink. Uh, we are here with Neil Witte, who is the training and technical support manager for Duval USA, Boulevard Brewing Company, and Brewery Omegang, uh, and one of only seven Master Cicerones in the entire world. Um, really an honor to have you in-house today, Neil. Welcome to the brewery. Welcome to the brewery. Welcome to the radio show. <laughs> Happy to be here. Awesome. So in honor of, uh, of Oktoberfest, um, can you share with us one of your favorite Oktoberfest uh, beers or memories? Uh, is this something that, that you personally have, have ever celebrated? Favorite Oktoberfest memory or beer? Well, I would, I would have to say, you know, one of the beers that pops into mind is is uh, probably unsurprisingly one of the beers that we've been making at Boulevard Brewing Company for a long time in Kansas City. It's called Bob's 47. Uh, it's an Oktoberfest-style beer, uh, and it's kind of a cult classic in Kansas City. A lot of people go uh, pretty crazy over that beer when we release it. It's a really nice beer. Awesome. Yeah, so Boulevard Brewing Company, not uh, unfortunately not available here in, in New York, uh, have heard really great things, but uh, Duval is, is a, a brand that we work with a lot, at, especially at Lartuzzi. Omegang, uh, uh, Chef Gabe and I are, are huge, huge Omegang fans. Uh, we've had Omegang beer at, at all of our restaurants. Uh, recently, Gabe has been really excited about the Game of Thrones yeah. Beer and we're trying to work on a uh, Game of Thrones uh, dinner with you guys, but hopefully, hopefully that that works out. Uh, how did that project get started? You know, Game of Thrones is a really unique opportunity that was presented to Brewery Omegang uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, HBO approached uh, some of the folks at the brewery and asked them if they'd be interested in doing a themed beer, and they couldn't say no. 
so you know they they have the rights to you know use certain logos and fonts and some of the marks of the show and and uh and it gets cross promoted and it's uh, it's been a great opportunity uh, so the, the beers are fantastic for one and you know the, with the game of thrones branding people go completely nuts over it yeah i mean uh, we have quite a few people in our in our uh, little restaurant company who absolutely love they're just so invested in game of thrones and it is a a constant cop topic of conversation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and so so we were really excited to uh to work together on a uh some sort of dinner with that hopefully um but tell us about the beers how did uh how were the beers envisioned to pair with uh this show well you know there's it's it's really a collaboration of uh, you know of the brewers and the innovation managers at Brewery Omegang. Uh, Phil Leinert, the head brewmaster at Omegang, is a really really intelligent guy. He's a really smart brewer. Um, makes some fantastic beers, and you know I think he kind of comes up with a lot of these concepts um, that you know where they they can think of a theme. Uh, like take the black for instance, you know it's a it's kind of a you know a, a reference to you know part of the show, and they can take that and say, well, you know, what does that mean to us for a beer? Well, you know, so one of the obvious connections there would be like a big imperial stout, yeah. which is what they did. So, uh, you know, fire and blood was a you know a red ale that had uh, a little bit of pepper spice in it. Yeah, it has know? a little so, heat to it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, they're just taking themes from the show and and kind of doing beer interpretations of that. Now, I want to ask you because you're uh, you do a lot of training and certainly expert on on beer and food pairing generally my favorite match with spicy food is a very crisp fresh beer what in the world can you eat with a spicy drink a spicy drink well you know whenever i think about beer and food i i usually just you know i try and think of balance what what is in there that i can balance out so if you have some type of spicy drink then you know usually you're approaching spiciness from the food perspective. And for me, you know, if I'm pairing with a spicy food, I like to have something that's a little bit sweeter to help kind of balance that out and maybe put out the fire a little bit. Uh, so if I have a spicy drink, I might kind of look the other way with, uh, with something that has, uh, has some sweetness in it. That wouldn't be my first impulse. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of conceptually how I, I would approach that. Now, um, tell us a little bit about this, uh, about, about you, about how you got into, uh, how you got into working in the, the beer, uh, industry. And then I'd love to know more about the Cicerone program because, uh, I think it's something that, uh, perhaps a lot of people don't know a ton about. Yeah. Well, uh, myself, uh, I got into beer when I, I traveled to Germany. I was, uh, just finishing up college and, Spent some time in Germany in 1993 and uh, drank some really good beers and uh, and then, you know, came back and really was inspired to start homebrewing. And I started making my own beer and getting okay at it. I think if I tasted those beers now, I might feel differently about it. But uh, but nonetheless, I was, I was homebrewing and getting into it and uh, was kind of aimless. I just graduated with a degree in philosophy and a degree in German, so I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. I was working as a bartender, and and a buddy of mine uh, 
is a, and still is a, a winemaker and, and works at a local winery in central Missouri where I was uh, going to college. And he got me on working in the winery, doing some stuff with fermentations and grape crush and, you know, it was kind of seasonal work in the winery. Uh, and through them, I got hooked up with the beer business in Kansas City with a brew pub company. Uh, worked for this brew pub company in Kansas City for a few months and then hooked up with Boulevard Brewing Company. Right. And that was in 1997 that I started with Boulevard as a brewer. And I brewed for them for about three years and then the founder of the company, John McDonald, decided he wanted to have somebody work out in the market to address field quality issues. And that's kind of how my job started, my current job, is, is doing field quality stuff, working with draft technicians and line cleaners and the guys who take care of the beer out in the market. And then it kind of evolved into a more broad-based training position. So I, I do any manner of education for mm. Uh, distributors, retailers, and consumers. And that's kind of where the Cicerone program really wraps in as well because, you know, I was aware of what Ray Daniels was doing with the Cicerone program pretty early on. Uh, You know, Ray Daniels, the founder of the Cicerone program, wanted to – he kind of saw a gap in the the industry uh, where we needed some type of certification for, you know, people who are going to serve beer. You know, we have a, a sommelier program for, you know, for the wine industry, but there was not that equivalent for the beer industry. And with more and more complex beers on people's menus and a lot of people not really knowing anything, the consumers not really knowing a whole lot about beers necessarily, you know, there was a need for someone to say, yeah, I have a minimum amount of knowledge about beer and here's the certification to say so or whatever. And so he started the program and, you know, initially, you know, it's still not a, a, an extremely widely known program. Uh, but initially, you know, he needed a lot of support and, and we wanted to support that early on. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of the guinea pig. So I, I, uh, I took the certified Cicerone test in 98, I believe, and that was, or 98, 2008, and uh, was uh, one of the first seven, I think, certified Cicerones. And at that point, you know, certified Cicerone, I guess, didn't really mean much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just this thing, right? Uh, so, uh, and then I took the master exam. I had to take the master exam a few times to pass it, but eventually I ended up passing it. But now the Cicerone program's grown quite a bit, and... Um, I think, God, I think there's some like 500 certified Cicerones yeah. now and, uh, something like 45,000 certified beer servers, which is the first level of the program. Wow. Yeah. So there's three levels, certified beer servers, certified Cicerone and master Cicerone. That's correct. Wow. Uh, wow. So much, so much I want to ask you just about, <laughs> first of all, cause it is in the drink. We speak a lot about wine here. What is going on with the Missouri wine scene? If you could uh, just tell us a little bit about that. I hear such great things. I don't think I've ever seen a Missouri wine available in uh, in New York, but apparently there's some pretty interesting vineyard sites, some some high quality winemakers out there. Yeah, there there are several wine producers in Missouri. It's actually uh, a nice little industry. Uh, the a lot of the grapes that 
a lot a lot of the varieties that people enjoy in a lot of other areas don't really grow in Missouri. So yeah. like vinifera grapes don't really grow there. So some of the big grapes uh, that you'll see would be like a Norton grape mm-hmm. is, is a red grape that, uh, you know, is usually, you know, the Missouri winery's best red offering would be the from the Norton grape, Chamberson and Chancellor, some other red grapes. Uh, uh, Save all grape is uh, you know a white grape that you'll a variety you'll see a lot, uh, but it's a it's a pretty solid industry. Yeah. I mean, there's some pretty successful wineries in Missouri making some decent wines. And then fast forwarding to your time doing the quality control, what was the what was the main culprit? What was the big thing that you saw was preventing people from drinking high quality beer? Uh, was it that people weren't having their their draft line draft lines cleaned often enough, or the pressure was off, or bottled beers weren't fresh as they could be, or well, yeah, it's hard to – you can't really say it's you know, one thing or another. Uh, you know, I think when I started doing my job as it is now, when I started doing the field quality thing, it was, you know, it was about 2001. Um, you know, there was a lot of high-quality beer out there, and there still is, obviously. Um, and uh, there were a lot of issues with draft systems, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I started – working out in the field is because there were a lot of issues with air compressors for one a lot of uh, uh, a lot of draft systems were being dispensed with compressed air which kills the flavor of the beer within a matter of a day um, and uh, there was you know in certain markets there were issues with line cleaning uh, you know lines either weren't being cleaned or they weren't being cleaned correctly um, and you know, so I spent a lot of time working with our distributor partners uh, and with our retail partners and trying to help clean things up. Yeah. And now you're still with Boulevard Brewing Company, but it's become part of this greater Duval uh, Oma Gang umbrella. So this is you're going on like 17 years or something. This yeah. is Derek Jeter like loyalty. <laughs> It's impressive. Well, it's a great company to work for. It's really impressive. Are you still based in Kansas City? Or yes, I am. All right. Well, thanks for coming to the studio today. That's, that's my pleasure. That's awesome. Um, and then what what, do you, what was the uh, the most challenging part of this uh, Master Cicerone program? Um, it sounds like if anyone is going to uh, be able to pass to someone with that kind of experience, you, you brewed, you were with a company for such a long time, you're an expert and technician, you wrote books on it. Um, it took you several attempts to pass the uh, the master. What what was the really challenging part for you? Uh, well, for me personally, the hardest part was the the beer styles section. Uh, you know, everybody goes into the Cicerone program, I think, with a strong suit. Uh, you know, depending on where you come from. Uh, if you're a brewer, you know, you've got processing ingredients down pretty well. I mean, even in your strong suit, you have to study stuff, but, you know, I'd brewed before. So, uh, the process and ingredients, uh, wasn't as much of a challenge for me. Um, I'd been working with draft systems and installing draft systems and teaching classes on it for many years. So, you know, the whole draft dispense part was, wasn't that tough. Uh, but beer styles and, uh, being familiar with, commercial examples of some classic beer styles uh you know like like i could you know i could name for you uh you know four american ipas from four different countries but i might not be able to tell you about the differences the subtle differences between those just from memory right so that kind of distinction uh so it because you know i 
taste beer in a professional setting and have been for a really long time, but it's been mainly Boulevard beer. And so I really had to kind of step out and, and make a real effort to just try more beers and, and try as many beers as I could and really study it in that sense. And it's not something that you can book study. You can't just, you know, if you, if you need to brush up on some of the details about hop varieties and, and, you know, and maybe how they're grown or whatever, you can study that in a book and it might take you a few days of intense studying, but, uh, it took me a few years of really getting out and, and making a sincere effort to try as many different beers as I could. Cool. All right. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more uh, with Neil Witte from uh, Brewery Omegang, Duval, and Boulevard Brewing Company. You're listening to Kill Me in the Summertime by the Dead Stars on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In The Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small. From careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels, to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's Master Distiller says it's just right. Michter's Cost Be Damn Taste Is Everything Attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine Magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. Thanks, Michter's. Uh, we're, back, we're back with uh, Neil Witte from uh, Brewery Omegang, Duval, and Boulevard Brewing Company. Neil, are you, are you a whiskey drinker at all? It, it seems to me that, that whiskey is really, uh, it's, it's beer that's been distilled and not hopped. Uh, I am a whiskey fan. I'm a big whiskey fan. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I kind of see whiskey as being kind of like that. I mean, it is and it isn't, you know, uh, you know, it's largely corn and a lot of, you know, in, in most instances. Uh, so, you know, it's not really that way, but yeah, there's a lot of a connection. Bit. There's there. some similarity. Yeah. They're yeah. kind of like, it's about as close cousins. to distilled beer as you get. Yeah. Without they're, actually they're just having cousins. straight up distilled beer. <laughs> All right. Because it is uh, uh, 10, 19 in the morning, um, it's time to drink some beer. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you, thank you so much. You seem, uh, you've brought uh, a couple of beers for us to, uh, to taste. I'd love to 
kind of go through the process as to how you uh, certainly tell us about the beers um, and then how, what's the process of, of analyzing beer that, that someone who is uh, an MC well, would go through? Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pour one of these beers and uh, we'll start with uh, Noma Gang. Noma Gang, it, it's, uh, this is a Belgian triple that is uh, just recently become a year-round beer of Brewery Noma Gang. And uh, we'll pour a little bit here. See if we can get maximum. Okay, so there's no glass tilting that, that, that the Master Cicerone has had. It's going, kind of going straight down the middle. Okay. So, you know, first impression is always with, you know, how it looks, obviously. Uh, assess it for clarity... Make sure your glasses are clean. Uh, <laughs> those are, you know, the couple I hope of these mason jars are doing justice. <laughs> it's, do, it's doing just fine. And then I like to swirl it around a little bit, release some carbonation, release some aromas, and give it a nice sniff. So this uses uh, the the yeast strain from Brasserie d'Achouf. Uh, so, uh, for the listeners out there who might not recognize that name, those would be the beers with the little gnomes on little the label. Gnome with adorable the, little yeah, gnome. Uh, <laughs> La Chouf and Mixchouf for the the more popular offerings, and uh, Hublon Chouf as well. But uh, and that's a sister brewery of ours, so uh, it's part of the Duval mm. family, and uh, they have a very distinctive house yeast strain. Uh, it produces a lot of really fruity aromas. Yeah, a lot of fruit and spice. Yeah, and I get uh, there's it's got a little kind of peppery character, but mm. I get like a peachy character mm. from that shoof yeast. It's uh, it's really nice, um, and it translates really well to this triple. So it's got a nice fruity aroma, and then you know the flavor is like a classic Belgian triple. You know, it's it's really malt forward. Uh, you know, it's a light colored beer, uh, and you know the. The pale malts are going to give you kind of bready malt flavors, uh, kind of like white bread, like the like the middle of a piece of white bread is kind of what that malt flavor tastes like to me. Wow. And of course, I reach for the strongest beer first for you to pour us. Uh, nine and a half percent alcohol. It's so so balanced. You don't doesn't feel like it's that strong. Obviously, the color is deceiving because people might look at uh, such a pale beer and think that it's going to be mm-hmm. uh, lighter, lower in alcohol, but really scary scarily drinkable for such a strong beer indeed yeah. wow that's that is really good and and that it was recently uh determined to be in the year round it used to be a seasonal beer you said yeah yeah how, I how think do you make it, that decision uh you know that's uh there are there are people above my pay grade <laughs> that make those decisions uh but you know i mean you make a beer that is uh pretty successful as a seasonal beer and uh if there's a demand for it then uh you know, then, you know, maybe it makes the transition to a year round. All right. Now, this is one of my favorites, the Hennepin, which is a Saison style beer. Um, my yeah, uh, my favorite beer, like just the go to always is Saison DuPont. If, mm-hmm. uh, in, in many ways, kind of a benchmark for that style, uh, for the U.S. market at least, is that Saison DuPont. Uh, nice beers. Hennepin is a fantastic beer. This has been kind of one of the go-to saisons of mine for uh, for many years, actually. Really nice beer. It's uh, now this uses the Omegang House Yeast Strain, which is also uh, you know what what a lot of people would consider to be a Belgian style yeast strain. So you know when you say Belgian style, basically you're just talking about a yeast 
an ale strain that produces a lot of fruity or estery or phenolic aromas. Um, and uh, the Omegang yeast strain kind of fits that mold. So um, is that a yeast that's been cultivated at Omegang using the ambient stuff in the air of, of Omegang? Or is that something well, like, no, it's how, not how so much happen? a terroir thing. It's not what comes uh, from the air. This is a cultured yeast strain. And, it, and I imagine initially when the brewery was founded, they selected this from an existing yeast bank mm-hmm. and said, this is going to be our, our yeast strain. Because there's yeast banks that house thousands of strains of yeast that you can make different batches of beer with and are going to provide different subtle characteristics to the beer, obviously. And uh, every brewery kind of chooses that yeast. And then does point. it sort of morph over the years or is it always going to be exactly? Well, it can morph over the years depending on how you handle it. If, you know, uh, typically you're, you know, during the fermentation process, obviously the yeast multiplies many times over and then you harvest that and you pitch that into subsequent tanks of beer. But if you just keep doing that over and over again, the culture will mutate and it'll start to change and, and it'll become different over time. And it might not be something you notice day to day to day, but if you were to take a beer from a year ago and compare it, you'd realize, oh, hey, you know, these incremental changes have, have become significant. Uh, so what a lot of brewers will do is is keep that strain on file. So they're either repurchasing that same strain from the yeast bank and then repropagating that into a full culture and replacing what they're using in the brewery to maintain consistency or keeping it on file themselves mm-hmm. at their brewery and repropagating to replace that culture. Now, will you use different yeast for different beer styles? I imagine, uh, I know at least with, with wine, once you get to a certain level of alcohol, um, certain ambient yeasts, for instance, aren't able to fully ferment to, to dry. Or if you want to ferment at a very cold temperature, uh, again, you might choose a yeast that, that's good at fermenting at a cold temperature. Is, is that the same idea, or is it this is the Omegang kind of signature yeast, and we use it across, obviously, the, uh, the Nomegang uh, was, was different, but uh, is it used across several different beer styles? Uh, it's used across several different beer styles. The, that house yeast strain is uh, really part of the character of the Omegang beers. All right. So, so uh, tell us about the, the Hennepin a little bit more. What, what, uh, well, what, 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 how would you analyze this one? And where does it fit into the world of, of Saison? Pretty classically styled? Uh, it's pretty classic. It's got a little bit of spice in it. It's got some coriander in it. Um, and uh, so it gives you a little bit of spice in the nose. It's not a real, uh, real prominent characteristic, but it's a little bit more of a back note. Um, but, you know, other than that, it is a, a really good classic interpretation. It's uh, maybe a little higher ABV than a lot of Saisons that, that you might get. It's, uh, you know, 7.7. So, uh, you know, uh, depending on, uh, on who you talk to, uh, you know, Saison might be a little bit lower ABV mm. typically. Um, but uh, this is a nice, uh, a nice interpretation of the style. Lightly spiced, evenly balanced between, uh, you know, malt and hops. Uh, you know, it's not overly bitter. A lot of American interpretations can, uh, can be a little bit more on the hoppy side because Americans like to put more hops in their beers. Yeah. My, I mean, my personal taste is for nothing too, too hoppy. Um, mm-hmm. I like bitter, though. It's, it's so strange. I love uh Black coffee and Amaro and Campari, but just not really not really hoppy beer. Uh, yeah. Like a little bit hoppy, but not really hoppy beer. This is delicious. One of the things I really love about it is uh, the texture. It has this really soft 
beautiful texture to it. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's got a nice mouthfeel. It's uh, you know kind of light medium body, and you get you know when you start getting up near eight percent alcohol, you also have the the alcoholic strength providing a little bit of uh, a warming mouthfeel, and and you know kind of kind of adds to that sensation for sure. Okay, this is another another classic for I think this is maybe the first Oma Gang that uh that I came across, the rare Voss. Um an amber ale, six and a half percent. So we're actually we're going down in percentage every time. Yeah, we're kinda of going backwards here, so, I think. Sorry, that's, that's my fault. I'm it's just okay, grabbing though. for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh Rare Voss is a is a really great beer. Uh this is, you know, kind of a a classic kind of uh Belgian pale, if you will. Um, you know, early on in the 20th century, uh, you know, Belgian brewers were really looking to other places for inspiration for beers. And they were looking largely to the UK for inspiration for, you know, uh, making successful beers because of the popularity of English ales. So, uh, Belgians were making interpretations of pale ale. And so, you know, there's still some really good ones that are around you know you look at uh de Koninck, which is another it's a antwerp based brewery that's part of the duval family it's uh it's available i believe that's available in new york and certain it's not throughout the country but it is imported in, you see it in, in new the york States. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um and that's a great interpretation of a of a belgian pale and this is oma gang's interpretation it's a really nice evenly balanced beer again it's a you know a, a belgian pale is not what a lot of people interpret as a, like an American pale mm-hmm. ale, which is really hop-focused beer. A Belgian pale is a little more evenly balanced, a little more subdued hop bitterness, nice malt character with some kind of toasty biscuit notes, uh, really nice balance, a little lower ABV, nothing too intense about it. This seems like a great, uh, just an easy match for so many different foods. This is like Absolutely. Yeah, not too hoppy, not too alcoholic, uh, but still full flavored enough that it can stand up to some meat. Some, mm-hmm. uh, I think various Asian cuisines would be delicious with this. Uh, that's that's pretty awesome. You said that there was some innovation going on in in Belgium. Uh, where in the world today? To in in my sphere, I I kind of see America being the most innovative place in the world for for beer uh and i deal a lot with uh with italian the italian world as well and there are all sorts of crazy italian brewers out there doing Mm -hmm. completely new and weird and sometimes awesome and sometimes atrocious things um What, where else in the world are people kind of pushing the envelope and, and making cool beer? Are, is there anything in, in Belgium that, that uh, for instance, that, that's happening? Are they kind of really sticking with their traditional styles? Well, it's really interesting uh, when you compare the culture of brewing in Belgium to the U.S. right now. Uh, you know, in in the U.S., obviously, it's like we the, the rule book has been thrown out. There really is no rule book. Everybody kind of does what they want. There's really no long-standing tradition of making full-flavored beer. It's kind of a new thing. It's it's uh, some people would you know call it a renaissance. Other people might classify it as a revolution or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, brewers are pushing the envelope and trying to do something different than they did the day before, and so it's really exciting. When you go to Belgium, they've got centuries of tradition and. 
And uh, it's a really great thing. And they've been developing these techniques and these beers for so long. And you visit these breweries that have been making this one beer for so long and they're really good at it. And, and it's a great thing. But the other side of that coin is that they sometimes I think feel constrained by that tradition. And so there's not as much innovation as you see over here because they feel like there are certain rules that, you know, there is a rule book that, that everybody plays by. And, and so there's not as many people pushing the envelope and trying a whole lot of different new things. Not to say that there's not innovation happening there. There is. But it's just not like it is in the States. And I don't think uh, there's many cultures that uh, – would compare to what's happening in the U.S. right now. Yeah, we're here. a country of rebels. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're a country of rebels. You know, I, I, I've, uh, I've really been enjoying these beers from Germany, Freigeist. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them. They've re- revived old style. So it's still kind of the same idea where Belgium, it, you know, I think as in my experience, a lot of German uh, brewers are, are sticking to the traditional styles. They, they proudly boast that its uh, beers are brewed according to the... The Reinheitsgebot. Yes. 1420? <laughs> uh, yeah, somewhere around Somewhere around 1420. <laughs> this, this brewery, Freigeist, has actually revived some traditional styles of beers that, that have not uh, seen the light of day in, in, in a long time. Um, so I, I think that is, uh, that's super exciting. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, there's a lot of countries you know belgium and germany as well uh you know and in the uk is uh, in addition you know a lot of people are looking to the u.s now and kind of taking a page from our book and saying hey you know these guys are really doing a lot of interesting things and they're you know and they're uh they're changing the landscape and uh they're kind of taking a page out of our book which is really cool and they're starting to do the starting to innovate in their own ways Awesome. All right, let's finish up with the uh, the last beer, the the three philosophers. I think I at least got the order on this one correct. This is probably yeah, this, the one you wanted to finish yeah, on. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't start with this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so three philosophers is a Belgian dark strong, uh, uh, mm. a quadruple ale, if you will. Uh, Can you explain the double, triple, quadruple? Uh, is sure. there a single? Well. Is there a quintuple? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, you know those those names are are really uh, for styles. These these are beers that are modeled after styles that have become uh, well known through these Trappist monastery breweries. There's a handful of uh, Trappist breweries around the world. Uh, most of them are in Belgium, and uh, the brewery at West Mall is largely credited with. Uh, popularizing the double and the triple and as as the story goes uh they would make they would make a beer that the monks themselves would drink a table beer low alcohol beer something they could drink at meals without becoming intoxicated and they would sometimes make a stronger beer for guests or special occasions and then they might even make a beer stronger than that for other occasions and when that when that beer went into barrels the people who would package it would mark the barrel with either an x or two x's or three x's and so it would be a single or what they call an ankle or a double or a triple Uh, the triple over the course of time developed into being actually a lighter colored beer than the double for uh, whatever reason uh you know it's uh you know some say it's uh, it was actually a 
they made it lighter in color in reaction to the popularity of Pilsner beers in Europe. Uh, for whatever reason, it, it became lighter in color. So uh, Double is, is a little bit darker beer, uh, kind of nutty malt characteristics. Uh, and the Triple, like, uh, like we were talking about with Gnome Gang, is a little lighter color but stronger. Uh, you know, higher alcohol, a little fuller bodied. And then the quadruple ale is just kind of an extension of that. So the brewery at Koningshoven, which is the Trappist monastery in the Netherlands, produces uh, a quadruple, that one that they actually call a quadruple. So this is, again, kind of, uh, you know, modeled. This is a beer modeled after some of these Trappist styles. So that's kind of the origins of that. So Three Philosophers is a quadruple ale. Um, it's a Big, rich, sweet, malt-focused beer, but it's got a nice fruity aroma from that Omegang yeast strain. There's some dark fruit notes in there from, from the malt character, uh, and it's got a nice, rich, kind of caramel, toffee-like mm -hmm. malt character. Almost a Tootsie Roll character. Yeah. I really like <laughs> that. Yeah, that kind of sweet, kind of nutty, chocolatey kind of character in there, yeah. too. And this beer also has uh, a small blend of Leafman's Creek. So the Leafman's, uh, Leafman's Brewery makes uh, uh, mixed fermentation beers. So that actually, going back to that whole concept of terroir, they actually do use terroir there. They've, this is a beer that's aged on cherries for a long period of time. And so it's a very cherry-forward beer mm. that's a little bit tart. And they take uh, this beer three philosophers and blend in about two percent of that creek to create just a little hint of that cherry oh yeah and i that's uh if you don't pay attention to it i don't think you'll pick it up and now that you mention it it's so subtle but really really nice mm -hmm. yeah it's a nice addition to it yeah that's a delicious beer okay so uh we are way over time i think i could yeah i have like a million more questions to ask you uh hopefully on the uh Maybe you'll be. Hopefully, you'll be taking the the L train back to the city with me. I can I can finish up my questions. But <laughs> uh, Neil, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, our first master cicerone or cicerone of any type on the show. So I'm really excited. Awesome. I'm honored. And uh, and like I said, we're, we're huge fans of Oma Gang and Duval. Um, one of our regulars uh, loves to have Duval in a big red wine glass, and she's got me hooked on that. And uh, I think it is just such a delightful way to uh, to enjoy that beer. Um, anyway. Anyway, thanks again for, for being on In The Drink. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been uh, In The Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.